Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest sitting with Scott and myself for this episode. You know the name, you know the voice, but who is Andy Raymond? Hello, guys. Direct from the stairwell at Canterbury Leagues Club. Uh, Billy Army's just left. I've arrived. Uh, who is Andy Raymond? Um, that's how I start a lot of my podcasts, and it's a question I've thought about. He is not everyone's cup of tea, but what he is is honest and loyal. Um, and they're two traits that were were hammered into me as a young bloke by my beautiful parents. Honesty and loyalty um, as a personal characteristic and, and also in a professional environment. And not many can say that in the media industry. It's it's bitchy, it's moany, it, it's backstabbers. Um, I'm what you get. I'm uh, yeah, honest and loyal to, uh, to those that, uh, that have won me over or, or those that I've won over. Perfect. We had to throw that one at you. Scotty and I are both big listeners of um, Unfiltered. Yeah, so, thank love you. Love the Legend series in particular as well. So I throw that out real early. Um, but what what made you fall in love with uh, rugby league? I grew up in uh, the North Rocks Carlingford area of uh, Sydney or northwestern Sydney, I guess. We were 10 minutes up the road from Parramatta Stadium and, and I was born in 71. So Back in the early early to mid-80s was when you could, you know, you'd jump on your bike after school and, and we'd ride down to Parra, ride down to Parra River and and look at Cumberland Oval that had been burnt down. Um, and it was only down the road. Mum and Dad were Parra fans and we got our first season tickets in 1986 when Parramatta Stadium first opened up. It had been burnt to the ground in 81 after the grand final celebrations and it ultimately reopened in 1986. Um, so we were season ticket holders down there and fell in love with it. I really did. I, I played since I was five years of age and uh, I was probably the one at the, the back of the field in the under fives, under sixes, building sandcastles and playing with my nuts and pulling my socks up and doing all those type of things, <laughs> anything but footy. Um, but it, it's been, it's been more than a passion because it's been my life for, for 30 odd years. Uh, really lucky to say that I can combine my passion and my profession. And uh, despite everything that happens along the journey, I've never lost the passion for the game. There's been some testers, but uh, I'm still a, a footy tragic. Absolute footy tragic. What's um, some of your favourite memories? I would like to actually, when you're uh, working closely to the game or yeah. even as a fan, like, could you? Yeah, I'll start with the fan one. Uh, yep. My favourite fan experience was the first grand final I went to, which was 1986, was Parramatta versus... Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the famous 4-2 uh, result and the retirement of Mick Cronin and Ray Price. And it was at the SCG. And back in the day, it had the great old SCG hill. And what they would do is open this giant iron gate behind the grandstand. And it was bull rush for anyone there to try and get on and get in the best position. And me and a group of mates, both male and female, were 15. We'd left Carlingford train station on the 3.10am train to get into Central and walked up to the SCG. And we lined up and we burrowed our way slowly through the crowd. And we were the first ones in. So we got front and centre, uh, middle of a hill, front row, and a wonderful day to be a para fan. I still remember it really, really clearly. And I've had the opportunity over the last 12 months in doing the podcast to relive it with Mick Cronin, Ray Price, and Brett Kenny. I mean, it, you know, as a footy fan, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. Um, from, from games that I've worked on, there's so many that stand out. For, for differing reasons. One that, that stands out and 
I do think about it a bit and, and it puts, it puts everything in perspective. I was on the sideline the night that Newcastle played Melbourne and Alex McKinnon injured himself. <laughs> and when you, when you're in a broadcast situation, you've got a tiny little earpiece in your ear, uh, should be undetectable. You shouldn't, you know, the cable and everything should always be tucked away. So it appears that, you know, you're on your own, but at any one stage, you, you can hear that you can hear the commentary. You've got a producer and a director that can talk to you at any time. And I guess the more experience you get in, in broadcasting, the freer they are in feeling as though they can talk to you. And it's never bothered me. I can have a conversation with the camera and, and with however many people are watching, despite the fact I'm listening to instructions, you know, from a director. So listening to something completely different from what you're doing, but Alex, Alex's injury, I, uh, I'm not going to say I knew, cause that sounds like I'm a smart ass. I feared the worst immediately um, when he was, when he was stretched off and I was halfway down the tunnel at Amy park and the tunnel goes down sort of like, you know, the, the dressing rooms are underground and I was halfway down the tunnel and I, and I'll never repeat it. Um, but I heard and saw things that I, that I, that I still think about to this day. I got back to the sideline and literally sat down and it might've been Wazza, the great Warren Smith said, let's go down to the sideline for an update with Andy Raymond. And in a, in a really, in a, in a split second, I had to figure out who I was and what type of bloke I was. And I went back on being honest and loyal to myself and I hid the news that I feared basically. And because, you know, there's families watching, there's loved ones watching. It's not a time for speculation, a broken arm, you know, getting that injury wrong, you know, I'm happy to wear or a, an ACL I'm happy to wear, but talking necks and backs, I'm, I'm not going to speculate. And I, I said something along the lines of um, I wasn't in a position to be able to see or hear any of the conversation or what was happening to Alex. However, I can tell you that the uh, both the, the Newcastle and the Melbourne doctors are with him at the moment and every, you know, uh, all great care is being, is being taken. The great, he's in the greatest of hands. Three minutes later, let's go back to Anne. And this is um, this is not a shot at Warren Smith in any way, shape, or form. And he threw down and, and asked again, um, any update on Alex McKinnon? And by this stage, there was a couple of people, including myself, that you know were genuinely fearing the worst. And I, I repeated that line. And I've got the producer effing screaming in my ear not that tired old line, give us something, give us an update. That's what you're here for. And I ignored it. It was just before halftime. And if you remember the old Monday night footy, because that's what it was, Monday nights would start, go to halftime, out of halftime, it'd be a wide shot of the ground and the players would come out and I'd be in a position where the players are running past me, running through me, running around me. And I had this little thing going that I used to love with, with the, the steady cam camera and we do circles and, and, you know, it visually looked really good. And just before I was about to start that, I heard the producer screaming in my ear again. So I took out my earpiece and just tucked it behind the jacket and said to the floor manager, uh, he saw me do it and he knew why. I said, you just tell me when I'm on. And so he gave me the cue and I said, um, yeah, welcome back to, to Monday Night Football at Amy Park. The scoreline is the Melbourne Storm. 
and, and you know whatever it was in the Newcastle Knights. Um, the story of, of tonight surrounds Alex McKinnon, and he was taken from the field in uh, in the greatest of care, but on a stretcher just before half time. I said it'd be wrong of me for for the game uh, for the broad broadcaster for the game and for Alex and his loved ones to speculate or uh, suggest what is wrong when there is news we will have it on fox sports news and foxsports.com.au but until that time um our thoughts and our prayers are with Alex and left it at that and for whatever reason um that one stuck with me. And look, it's a lo- it's a long story about, you know, just another game. But that one's really stuck with me. And, and I've had the opportunity of, of talking to Alex since. And, and he gave me a call out of the blue, probably 18 months later, and said he hadn't watched the tackle back, but he had caught a bit of the game. And he said, mate, you are an absolute class act. And that's from me and my missus um and I, I thought that was lovely i'd spoken to Alex's parents privately before that and uh they were very thankful strangely enough and I, I won't associate names with it but the guys from melbourne in and around the tackle also got in touch and just said uh, you handled that very well but that one that one stands out and it's for a, a shit reason because obviously, you know, we know what happened and we know how Alex's life uh, has changed. But but that one, that one sort of stands out. Well, well done. Um, shows your professionalism and you're saying at the start of that honesty to yourself. So to be able to yeah. ignore what was being yelled in your ear, mm. I don't know if everyone would have ignored it. So um, it was a while ago, but um, yeah, I, I remember I missed that game, which is odd for me. But um, I, I went back and, and saw the way it was reported. Um, and yeah, I remember taking that away as well. So, and yeah. was, by the time we got into the car, um, after the game, and I, I was I was a bit of an emotional wreck after that game, and, and probably for a week, I reckon I had the next weekend off, and the company just said, mate, just. Going re- seeing it up close is um, is uh, obviously it's it's not like being the, the the victim, but you know it it left a mark on me. But by the time we got to the car, Alex was still in the dressing room, and news was being reported on his condition by other media outlets, which is an absolute disgrace. Media outlets that did not have a representative at the ground and certainly didn't have a representative anywhere near the dressing rooms. So you talk about speculation and clickbait and, and all that type of stuff. That's it at, at its absolute finest. Um, and to, pretty disgusting, actually, to be honest, pretty disgusting. It is. It goes back to that got to be first, not got to be right or got to mm. have care, unfortunately. Yep. But I, I remembered that game, I suppose, unfortunately. Um, but I do remember the actual the, the actual sideline conversation. It actually took me back because I remember just watching it normal Monday night and that happened. And I just remembered thinking, like, what it, like as a class act, that was hmm. how you handled that. I thought it was really professional because I just put myself in the position if it was a loved one or a, a brother or a cousin of mine, a family member, whatever it is. I would hate to speculate and have that. And I thought, you know, you handled it well and you would have been bombarded, like you said, by Warren Smith, who was just trying, you know, do his role as main commentator. Yeah, and everyone knows. yeah. Yeah, and not to just report something and then be wrong about it or yep. get him to fear for the worst if it wasn't that. And I thought the way you handled that whole situation that the whole night uh, was top notch. Cheers, yeah. mate. I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, over the years, I've been wrong. Elbows have become shoulders and knees have become calves and... Bad left foot has been a, actually a, a sore right thigh, so I've made plenty of mistakes thinking I was a doctor over the years. I'm just glad I didn't on this occasion. Well, we all, a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast, Andy, will know you mostly for your um, rugby league commentary. So do you want to take us back and let us know how did you become 
become a rugby league commentator? Yeah. Um, my father and my uncle were both in the media. Um, my father was the head of Channel 7 Sport throughout the late 1980s, early 1990s. Um, and he was the voice of Australian motor racing for 30 for odd years. It was never never pushed on me it it just sort of evolved and and being a, a sports tragic we only lived 10 minutes from where channel 7 used to be out at epping and on the weekends as a, a teen if i wasn't playing footy or racing bmx i'd go up and make coffee uh collect lunches clean out bins you know go to the printer and print scripts and once all those very important jobs were complete, I'd sit down with the journos or the producers or the directors or the editors, and I'd sit there and watch, learn, absorb, and then when it was done, ask questions. And it was sort of a couple of hours every second or third week. Then it became a couple of hours every Saturday. Then it became, you know, two full days every weekend for for X amount of years. So what, what the people at Channel 7 saw was a young bloke who was interested, genuinely interested in the process and the industry. Um, but I got in there because my dad was the boss, as simple as that. And I've never hidden from that and I never will, but dad was the boss and I, that's how I got the job. And I was probably the last one along with, uh, I think Vossi, it might've been me and Vossi, the, the last the last couple that we were able to move into the media and television without having to go through university and, and do it that way, we, we learned on the job. So that's how I got my start. And when I did start at Channel 7, I, you know, I, I didn't start presenting straight away or commentating straight away. I got the coffees, I got the lunches, I did the printer, I did the garbage. And once all that was done, all the really good stuff, sat down and absorbed. And that's one thing that I that I still do these days. I'm, I'm a listener, um, even though I keep rattling on here and my wife might tell you differently. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a listener and I listen and I learn and I absolutely love it. I really do. And I, I get a huge kick still and of sitting down with with our older blokes and listening to war stories, um, just just love it. Learn something different, but they obviously over time saw something in me to to give me a chance, and uh, I got that chance on the touring cars uh, at Amaru Park back in the the day of uh, Godzilla and the and the Sierras. Uh, would end up working at Bathurst two or three years as the pit reporter absolutely loved it and was still chasing that dream and that dream was rugby league and a fox sports and it, it, it the landscape changed with pay tv because prior to pay tv we were getting two maybe three games a weekend on telly the rest, you would see 25 seconds of highlights on the Sunday night news. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine now that you you know you mightn't see your team play more than three times in the year, but that's that's what it was. Fox Sports came in, Optus TV came in, and there were eight games on every weekend, every one of them live, and they needed people. They need, they had the players, they had the refs, they had the staff, they needed. TV people, and I got my chance at Fox in the middle of Super League in 1997, and and uh, that's what started 23-year journey there. Do you remember your first game? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and I, in fact, I won't say I do. I did, and it has just completely left my head. Uh, it was sideline... And I've got a feeling it might have even been the Wacker. So it would have been the Perth Reds. And it might have been against one of those other legendary sides, the Adelaide Rams or the South Queensland Crushers or something like that. Uh, but I've got a funny feeling it was uh, it was the Wacker and the Reds. And I had the King 
working with me, the great Wally Lewis. And we're, you know, all these years later, we're still great mates and speak a couple of times a week um, and laugh at each other's stupid jokes and sense of humour. Um, but that was back in 1997. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring up the King. Um, I just finished listening to your um, Wally Lewis free parter on uh, today actually so um oh that's quite surprised to hear that he um was almost signed off the bears yeah amazing that was crazy that would have changed the course of rugby league history so much because the bear wally comes down the likelihood is the bears succeed and the bears weren't able to build something then they might have been then they mightn't have been in that position that was so vulnerable. Wow, I mean, mm. huge. Any footy side with Wally Lewis and Mark Graham in it would have would have been near impossible to beat, and that's what the Bears were so close to having. I wonder what the what the, uh, the NRL competition would look like if Wally Lewis. It's funny how one player could have just changed the whole game and have absolutely because the you know the Bears. The Bears were a casualty, a financial casualty, and they teamed up with the Seagulls, who were struggling to create the the Northern Eagles, and and that didn't work. But by that stage, the Eagles and the the politics had had put them in the the more senior position. Put Wally Lewis and Mark Graham into a footy side. This is a wonderful hypothetical. Mm. You would suggest they... Wally alone would have been able to attract more players. Instead of in 1987, you've got Manly, you know, winning the comp. You know, could have been, could have easily been the Bears, and the whole circus changes colour. That's really interesting too, because that would roll into the 90s where they had that strong team that fell just short, maybe with yep. that history behind them, they would have had more belief. They might have won a few more premierships throughout the 90s. We might have lost merely, kept the Bears, and everyone might have been a whole lot happier. Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> right. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for something <laughs> that. I was waiting for that. Yeah, as, on for a while. as Bulldogs and Eels fans, one of us was going to mention it at some stage. <laughs> Can you tell us the preparation what goes into a rugby league game when calling it? Like, we only call it, like, I suppose, the viewer from home. You're on the TV for two hours if you're lead commentator or on the sideline. But how much work goes into just doing just a normal NRL match? I can't talk for others. Um, I, I can talk for myself. I, I know the a high majority of, of guys that I work with at Fox, meticulous in their preparation and long hours. Um I, I don't know if it's OCD or not. I had to have everything sent to me early, put in my mind early, and then I would format it onto on the computer or or handwritten um, in a particular order. So at any given stage, at any time of the match, I knew where that bit of information was just to reassure myself as I, as I checked it. But what I did more so in the latter, the last couple of years was the sideline stuff. And because I haven't played 14 origins and 22 tests, I had to present a point of difference because I'm not speaking from experience. Um, So I would often try and create the world's shortest story as opposed to, blurting out one statistic or blurting out two statistics, you can find that on foxsports.com or nine.com or, or supercoach or whatever it may be. Everyone's got access to stats now. So a lot of the time I find that boring and lazy because if we want to know, we would have found, found out by now. But I would try and get two different stats or or a stat and a story and try and weave them in to tell you what's happening, but why it's happening, if that makes sense. So give you a statement and here's why. And then trying to condense that down to eight seconds. Uh, as It's not all about just talking fast, uh, being brief and making it stand out. But I, 
I often, and my wife has told me this for years, she always thought the best stuff that I did was the off the top of my head stuff, whether it was um, an injury, a, a spot interview that you've you got to do that you hadn't planned, whether it was another cross that hadn't been planned. There was um, there were occasions, and there is occasions in in TV with so much technology that something something turns to shit, and someone's got to get you out of the hole. And there's been a couple of times over the years where a microphone and or camera in the commentary box has, you know, malfunctioned in some way, shape or form. And I've got to pick up on the sideline on the spot and start talking. And you don't know how long you're talking for. Uh, you're not commentating the game uh, because that would be an absolute giveaway that there's, there's technical problems. Um, and just making it up and going with the flow and, and having a little bit of fun with it. And, and the fun with it was the key for me. I always worked on the principle and it didn't matter what the sport was. It didn't matter the venue or the teams. In a 16-team comp, every game is the most important game of the weekend for, you know, one-eighth of the rugby league viewing base. And the rugby league's impact on the community can be huge. Now, the facts are not all of us wake up with a spring in our step every day. Not every day is great. It might be the wife, it might be the kids, it might be financial issues, or it might be the bastard at work. Not every day is a good day for all of us, and us blokes have got to learn to speak about this a little bit more often. But what rugby league and what broadcasting was for me is an opportunity for you, the viewer, to turn off for two hours. Turn off the hassles at home, the hassles with the school fees, the car needs to be fixed, I hate work, I don't want to do this, or my mates are being wankers, whatever. My goal was to make you relax, make you have a giggle at one of my bad jokes, um, make you say, wow, that's a that's a cool little story, but just forget the day-to-day -day hassles in life. And I always, every single time, I was at a, a footy game or a boxing night, whatever it may be, my goal was to take you, the viewer and or listener, away from your world and just into a world of relaxation. And I think that, um, I think I was able to achieve that for, for most parts, which is, uh, which is pretty cool, actually. You're spot on because for a lot of people, that one game, that two hours for that week is enough to get them through that week. That's right. So. Not, every, not everyone watches every game, but a two-hour block, your team wins. Oh, there's been a knock at the door. Put your special stubby holder on there for you. The one you like. <laughs> uh, where's, the, where's the blue one? You, uh, so you, got a, you got a maroon stubby on your beer there from your wife, Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens in this house. One New South Welshman and one Queenslander. That's maybe some of the stuff you're talking about, you know, when you time away, you got yeah. that type of stuff. I've, you've actually, it's been brought into the podcast. You spoke yeah. about it now. Uh, I've given you an example of it too. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the other, the other, I guess, major thing that people might know you for is your boxing commentary, Andy. So uh, we wanted to know if you had the choice, is it rugby league or is it boxing? They're so different to commentate on, Maddie. Mm. They are so different. And, and that, that sounds bizarre. Um, rugby league is a series of explosive moves that you've, you've got to talk about on the spot because in five seconds time, it's irrelevant because it, you're, you know, you're continuing the boxing in commentary is probably more difficult, but it's also more relaxing in the fact you don't, there's only one time that you're, you're really 
amping it up and that's when you believe it's it's time for the kill and you know the fight's going to be over and so you you start making your you know the levels go up you start getting to the to that you know screaming your your tits off type area but so so different and i I'd, i love the weekends where i do the boxing on the friday and the footy on the saturday because it was like I was working two completely different jobs because they are just so different. Um, and you're when you're doing the boxing, uh, you're also more times than not sitting right, literally right on the ring and by the end of the night covered in blood. So you, you've got the best seat in the house. What about as a, as a fan? Footy. <laughs> footy yeah, there yeah it, it, it is footy. Um, I enjoy, and I, I still enjoy, and I'm still involved in boxing. I enjoy the moment the bell rings for a fight night, um, and and I, I love it, and the the, the challenge it presents. Um, there's no one more critical of a one-sided fight or, or matchmakers who who get it wrong. It shouldn't be a sport to to be a hero and, and bash some guy who's not on your, you know, the same skill set or level as you good, evenly matched fight. I love that's fought in the right way, but boxing in Australia and boxing around the world just continues to screw itself. There is no governing body in world boxing or Australian boxing that calls the shots. There's individual organizations that make up belts but there is no corporate or, or, or industry governance. So there's no financial plan. There's no marketing plan. There's no business plan. There's no directive saying, here's our goal setting. And this is where we want to be in three years. The WBC go off and do their own thing. The IBF go off and do their own thing. Individual promoters, individual managers, individual fighters do their own thing. Then they then they all burn each other, and then they go to war. Where's it going? For God's sake, if 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 any business in twenty twenty one slash twenty twenty two doesn't have those plans and goals in place, where the hell are they going? And how can you be confident in the place that they're going is going to be the right one. Imagine leaving the NRL up to the 16 clubs and, and doing away with, you know, the NRL hierarchy. You'd be, you'd be lucky to get around in. Mm. Um, and so that's the issue. And that's the frustrating part with boxing. It's, it's just so poorly managed and the potentials there. And when it's big fight time, most most blokes, you know, will have a look at the TV and 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 think about going down to the local or, or putting on the pay per view because it's a big fight and and, and we love it. But geez, uh, the frustrations involved in boxing they're endless. It's interesting, and I'll let you ask a question in a minute, Scotty. But just off the back of that, um, like in my lifetime alone, I've we've gone from like UFC not being a thing to completely overtaking boxing. Yep. And that's probably what you're talking to there as well. Like if boxing had a plan, maybe that doesn't happen or maybe the the gap is not there. That's right. Um, but it's interesting what you say about men watching boxing because I, I wouldn't classify myself as a boxing fan and I will see the promotions. And for me, it's like, I hope this fight hurry up and gets done with because I'm sick of this commercial. Yep. But then on that Tuesday night or on that Wednesday night, just have a little pull up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, go, you got to check it. It's, it's an interesting point. Imagine if the marketing was consistent and they were building stars consistently. Mm. Um, it, it could be anything. It really could. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but it could be anything. What, what's your opinion on the footy players going in on the boxing? Mm -hmm. Good question. Uh, yeah, it is a good question. What Gal has done, he's been transparent and, and Gal is and has been known for as long as I've known him as the tightest bloke in the world. He, he, he loves money more than anyone and refuses to spend money. Um, if you're having a, a coffee with Gal, I guarantee you this, 
he will get up immediately after his last sip. Doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing or what you're talking about. And he'll put three bucks down and walk away. But the coffee's $4.50. He loves it. And he's been open and transparent. And he said, I'm, I'm here for the bucks. Good on you. Uh, Sonny has said the same thing. Barry Hall has said the same thing. But, but Barry and Sonny, more in it for the challenge physically um, because they are just, you know, two big alpha males that uh, that happen to be talented at whatever they do. I, I think it's a good, uh, a good headline grabber. Um, I think it, it has helped boxing the sport over the last decade, decade and a half. In fact, I'll go as far as saying I don't know where Australian boxing would be if rugby league players hadn't have kept it afloat for for a while. And that's going back to going back to Anthony originally and then and then Sonny and, and on to Paul. Um they've got a lot, a lot, a lot of publicity for Australian boxing and Australian boxers. They wouldn't have had the opportunities or the paydays they had without the rugby league guys. Just to backtrack I'm a bit like Matt, a bit ignorant when it comes to boxing and stuff. I've ever worked a couple of boxing events and I've actually found them quite intriguing live. Um, but with, I was just learning so much about with all these different organizations, promoters kind of yep. coming in. Is it, you know it more, is it a sense of like pride or something or they just can't like seem to like uniform and come together and just make it like a, a one level thing to make it easier? Like what's your opinion on that? Well, there's no governing rules, so they're all left to their own devices. And if someone, if if, if the local card detailing place is sponsoring one promoter for $5,000, you can guarantee that if another promoter finds out or another manager finds out, he'll say, you can do it with me for four. And they just attack each other. Uh, you know, financially like that. Um, and they're all in it. Look, they're in business for themselves and they will work together to a degree, but it's often not working for the betterment of everyone in boxing and not going in the, in the same direction. So um, and, until that happens, and look, it's not going to happen. Um it's it's been going on for for a hundred years like this, um, and they won't change because there is so much money at stake, especially overseas. Mm. Let's uh, jump back a little bit. We're hopping all over the place. Uh, you may have already answered this, but we'll just put it out there a little bit more formally. Who was your best or favourite work colleague? Best or favourite work colleague? Wow. Um. Two spring to mind, uh, my two favourites, world's nicest man, Laurie Daly, who is just, I love him to death. Uh, I've known him 31 years. Um, he was actually the man of the match at my 40th birthday a few years back. Uh, the most unbelievable individual performance at a party I think I've ever seen. Uh, so Laurie Daly was man of the match and, and just a terrific fella um, and point blank, one of the, one of the greatest ever footballers um, that, that has, has ever run onto a field. And the, uh, the other favorite is uh, the big raging bull. Always have a laugh with Gordy. Um, in fact, we, we don't stop laughing. It's, like winding back the clock and throwing two little ball kids in kindergarten in the corner together. And we laugh and giggle and take the piss out of each other. And then everyone else. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with, with both guys for a really long period of time and uh, any chance I get to see them or they get to see me, we, uh, we jump at it. It's um, interesting that you mentioned Gordy there because I feel like he's the prime example of being someone completely different that he came across as a player. I remember everyone yeah. in New South Wales, I don't know if hated was the word, but did not like Gordon Tallis. But yep. since he's been on the on Fox and on the box, I yep. think that's that's completely turned. I think 
most mm. people like the person Gordon Tallis. Yeah, honest and loyal as well. Uh, very honest, very loyal. And it, it, look, it, those principles and those values, they make you some enemies along the way, but those enemies aren't, you know, aren't worth worrying about if 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 you can't be honest and loyal with yourself and, and then to others. Um, and Gordy's got his critics and he knows that, but he also doesn't care about that. And a lot of the guys are different to, to what you'd expect. Another one that you know New South Wales loved to hate was Michael Crocker. Mm. It was just one of nature's absolute gentlemen. I, I did one of the legend series interview with him. And when I, I, said, that. I said, who is Michael Crocker? And he said, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm, a, I'm an ex footy player. I'm a guy that's, you know, helping others. And I'm a mad Harry Potter fan. I went, <laughs> what the hell yeah. are you talking about? Um, so yeah, a lot of them, a really good example and if you haven't listened to it as, as yet, it is really worth a listen. It's the Daily Cherry Evans Legend series interview. Yeah. And he, he starts the interview by saying, mate, I've learned that I can't give myself away in interviews. And I said, why not? And he said, well, because I'll give you my thoughts on something. He said, and it doesn't matter what it is, if I'm right or wrong, if it's black or white, 50% of the people will agree with me. 50% will disagree with my statement. He said, so straight away, I'm copying shit from half the people. You think about that and you think about the press conference situations these blokes are put into. And that's why Daly is regularly, you know, he's just, he's the media puppet guy. He, he says the right thing and the politically correct thing. Well, in this interview, he actually did give himself away and he spoke about his his circle of trust and how small it is, but how comfortable he is with the people that really matter and that he's learned not to get upset by what people think because if you don't know someone, why, why would you allow them any of your own headspace? You know, yeah. It doesn't matter what they say, if it's positive or negative. Um but the, the original question was the guys that are different and DCE is like that. Um, and from saying that at the start of the interview, he proceeded for 48 minutes or whatever it was to give absolutely everything of himself. And that's how we actually ended the interview by saying, wow, you know, for the, for the media savvy guy that always says and does the right thing, you've, You've just tossed that out and you've given us, you know, wonderful, a wonderful interview. So mate, they're all a bit different. They're all, they're all a bit cautious. They're more cautious now of, of doing and saying the right thing. Um, the conversations a lot of these players have in public are very different from the ones they have privately. Uh, they just don't want to say or do or to be seen to be saying or doing the wrong thing. Probably a commentary on all society yeah. um, <laughs> at the moment yeah. as well. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I've just actually thought of a random question, so it's not on our original oh, no. script. <laughs> and it's a reason why... You warned I, me about your random questions. Yes, I did, I did. Um, I want to see if you actually remember this, and I'm not doing this to poke fun. It's actually more of a compliment of your yep. commentating style. Back in round one, 2004... 2000. The, the Bulldogs took on the Eels, and I know this one really well because I got the DVD, the 2004 season highlights, <laughs> and I watch it quite regularly, especially the last few years because there's been a, a fair few wins. Um, yep. Just a couple wins for the Canterbury side. Uh, and it was the Bulldogs obviously taking on the Eels, and the Bulldogs won 48 points to 14. Um, but that was a game they've obviously showed a lot more into it because there was a lot more tries scored, and it was an in-depth thing. You're the lead commentator for Fox Sports that night. Um and when watching it, how like just in like how is it commentating the eels in the first place? Like, because I would think it'd be a nightmare commentating the bulldogs and thinking I'd come across as unprofessional, be saying bullshit, sir. That was an offside, yeah. like whatever, all that type of stuff. Yeah. But first of all, you're commentating one of the biggest rivals, bulldogs first power, and then the the well, for your point of view, the unfortunate the bulldogs got on top and won pretty comfortable. How do you keep that professional? But how do you keep excited? Because throughout the whole game when Bulldogs were firing in tries at the end of the game, 
you kept excited. You, you know, you lifted your voice, lifted the excitement. You could yep. hear the excitement through your voice. How did you do that? Like, how's that? Getting excited was never an issue for me because I'm I'm such a rugby league tragic that a rainy day at Shark Park with the Sharks playing the Cowboys, if it was 14th first, 15th on the ladder, that was the only place I wanted to be. There is no such thing as a bad game or a game that sucked. I, I just wanted to be at the footy and be involved. So being excited was never an issue. Being excited for Parramatta Canterbury, if you can't get excited for Parramatta Canterbury, you're not a rugby league fan. Uh, hiding my bias... We started making jokes about it, and I and I would make jokes about it myself. About you know, I'm from Parramatta. I love Parramatta. Um, go the mighty eels. So I think you know, if you're a hardcore fan, you would have known I was an eels guy. But I don't think you've ever. I don't think anyone could ever accuse me of bias because um, whilst it may have ripped me in two internally, watching them get done 48-14, I was still at the footy. I was still loving life. And here's a game in front of us and let's have fun for 90 minutes. So that's that would have been the mindset, I, I, I guarantee. And uh, I would have thrown the headsets off at the end of the game and sounded like I had Tourette's blowing up at Parramatta. But no one would have heard that. Jeez, that's that's a good way to uh, a good attitude to have going into the football, especially after the couple of years we've had with stop start seasons and yeah. looking like we're not going to have it end of a season when it come back. Um, I know myself, I've appreciated it on another level. So to have that attitude even before then, how good is next year going to be? Round one, round two, and you know, for you guys in Sydney, you get to go to the footy. You know, yeah. it is sensational. I hope they. I hope if there's games at ANZ or the biggest stadiums, I hope they do something smart with ticketing and or marketing because there is no reason why round one, I don't care which team, there's no reason there shouldn't be 50,000 people there. Mm. And wouldn't that be brilliant just as a footy fan to see that? I'm keen just to be honest to you. Bulldogs are playing in North Queensland round one, which... Sucks. We've you got the Bulldogs Townsville. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, got, you get another week to wait before the Queensland love affair's over. Yeah. So, no, it just, yeah, it sucks so much. I'm just thinking about just going to as many Sydney games as possible yeah. that week just to say I'm at the footy. Um, yep. Just to, yeah, just to be there. Because I actually said to them before, like, I we're losing through lockdown, the pretty much the Bulldog season just lost, 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 lost. <laughs> and I said, I wish I could be there to watch them lose. Instead of watching them lose from home, yep. I'd rather watch them lose at the stadium and sit there full time and share my disappointment on the faces of like Josh Jackson walking down the tunnel looking sad, knowing, yep. you know, and being there and feeling the same thing. And I said, just yep. it feels better to lose at the stadium than it does. Absolutely, at, it does. At the home, yeah. Jumping back a little bit, pre game interviews with players, is there one that stands out to you? Uh, pre game, probably not. Post game, Post game, there was there was a couple. Um, we're out at Penrith one night, and oh, I think I'm right in saying, I think it was James Segiaro had just lost his father back in PNG, or, or he might have even been in North Queensland, and he just lost his father and had almost um, cut short his morning period to come back to Australia and play um, for the Panthers that night. And the Panthers got done, I'm pretty sure. And in, in a sensible and sensitive way, he, he was the story. Everyone, you know, it had been in the papers, but he was the story, um, you know, post-game. But if you're going to go in and just ask stupid questions uh, and be disrespectful, um, you know, that's when interviews look like shit and turn to shit. And I started the interview with him. And, and he did the interview because, you know, we knew each other and he, he trusted me. But I started the interview with him 
and he was just unsure on everything and he, he was lonely and he was upset. And so I just shuffled in slightly without making it, you know, look like I was babying him. I just shuffled in slightly and I put my hand on his, on, on the top of his bum on his back and just rested it there. Just, just so he knew I, I was, I was there for him. Um, and, and, you know, have that steadying influence. And I finished the interview by saying something along the lines of wins and losses come and go. And at the end of the day, they're irrelevant. What you've done in the last week is life changing. Um, but it's also character building. And by speaking to us, by speaking to me tonight, you've shown what a, what a, what a classy character you are. And I got halfway through that and, and poor old Chico, he couldn't hold it any longer. And, it, you know, the tears started and he ended up putting his, 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 his head just on my shoulder. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't hiding or covering up anything. Um, he's, he's a tough enough dude to, to handle whatever's thrown at him, but it was just his, his safety mechanism. And, that stands out because we both felt good after it. We both um, both got off our chest what needed to be got off our chest. So that one really stands out uh, for for an emotional or personal reason. And the other one, strangely enough, it was um, the testimonial game. Jonathan Thurston and Cameron Smith. It was Lane Park, driving rain. And I did an interview with the two testimonial guys at the end of the game. And instead of going through it normally, I was given extra time because I said, I've got an idea. Can I go longer? And they said, well, the whole night's about them. So you can go as long as you want. So I said to Jonathan, and then I would repeat it to Cameron, JT, people see you and claim you are the best in the world. Why do you think Cameron's better? I just turned it around. And then I asked Cameron the same thing. And the two of them standing there. And look, two guys that have done 3,000 interviews, they've heard the same question 3,000 times or 2,000 times. And two guys that don't show a lot of emotion in their interviews and this was just phenomenal television and phenomenal footy television because I got each of them to basically deliver a presentation on why the other one is the best in the world and I I remember that it's on social media someone tagged me in it not that long ago and said oh best uh, best I've seen um, which was was nice but I got to relive it on facey or whatever it was so yeah, those two, both weird reasons and, and both nothing to do with footy. Um, but that's the storytelling in me coming out. I do I do remember the Jonathan Thurston and um, Cameron Smith one. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, could I, again, going a little bit off script, so sorry, that's Matthew, right. on that one. Um, the Remember the Jared Hayne returning to the Gold Coast Titans game and you were on the sideline for that? Vaguely, and when you when you mention when you mention Jared, I just go back to two thousand and nine. You mentioned <laughs> trying to hide your bias. Yep, and, and and I was able to hide the bias, but I never I never tried to hide my enthusiasm. I'm a para fan and open to it. And and in two thousand and nine, we had a remarkable year, and I got to call a Parramatta versus Dragons semi final. Parramatta winning and Jared Haynes scoring one of the top five tries I've ever seen. And I got to call it as a para fan. So there's my Jared Hayne memory and just outstanding. Um, and a real career highlight, uh, being able to call your side, the side that you're passionate about, uh, the Hayne back on the Gold Coast. Was that the interview after the game? I was just with the, the the pre-game and how Gold Coast just pretty much sold out the stadium or very close to selling out the stadium as the first yeah. one. And it was, I 
just remember you being pretty much there, pretty much taking going straight back. I was going from like the panel on this, I think the Sunday ticket they caught it, straight to you constantly almost every five minutes giving updates of the how the crowd was and how Hain and then how Hain came out and how the eruption and everything and all that. I just I was just more it just came to my mind then. Yeah. And for, how were that ranked for you? In the- that, that was phenomenal because I'm, and, and I'll stand by this, and I do stand by my mates, um, but I'm also not going to get me or you guys in any trouble. I'm a Jared Hayne fan as a player and as a bloke, and he's my mate, and I'll do anything and everything I can for him, and I, I, I feel for him at the moment, uh, and I feel for the whole situation. I, I should say that first up, and I, I think it's, I think it's terrible. But that was a huge day. And, and there's another interview that stands out. Um, and he was so happy to be back. Um, he was giving me hugs after the game in the middle of the interview, in the middle of the field. But there, there's a huge moment in the game right there. Jared Hayne returning on the back of the 49ers uh, up on the Gold Coast. Uh, I was also on the Gold Coast. Here's a cool one by comparison. I was also on the Gold Coast Daily Cherry Evans' first game after backflipping. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. They absolutely gave it to him. There is little old ladies standing around the tunnel where the Eagles came out, and they were putting words together to call DCE that I didn't know you could put together. And I had to go and look up the meaning of some of these swear words. They were brilliant. But DCE laughed it all off. It was uh, yeah, two tremendous days. But again, I look back and two tremendous days, but not anything to do with the footy. It's all about the emotion and the tribalism and the, the storytelling. 100%. I think for a lot of fans... That's what rugby league is, isn't it? Like yeah. rugby league is a family connection. It's a community connection. It's a it's a day out. It's so many other things than just the eighty minutes that happen on the field. Yeah, Although that eighty minutes can ruin a week. <laughs> yep. Uh, and and look, you know, you guys, um, I'm not going to say you've been unhappy in life for the for the last three or four years, but it has such a big impact on our day to day. Um, it probably doesn't make anyone's week, pardon me, it probably doesn't make anyone's week worse, a loss on the footy field, but it certainly has the ability to make everyone's week better with a win on the footy field. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm. And going back to the bias thing that we seem to be circling around for yeah. commentators. Bloody Canterbury fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't actually, I'm not going to pin you to the cross yet. Um, no, um, I don't feel like you were ever biased towards any team. Mm. And I think from a pe- fe- fan's perspective, yep. if the commentators are honest, like the only reason they're commentating rugby league is because they're fans, right? That's right. That's so exactly right. If the commentators are honest with, the TV audience or the radio listeners and we're aware of who they support. Yeah. I think that actually goes a long way to sort of understanding and, and killing off any of that internet talk that this person likes that team or hates yeah. that team. And, and, and I was open and transparent about, about that. And I also didn't care. However, I, and this is, a, this is a good insight and I haven't shared this before, one boss in particular, I'm not going to give a name because that's not my go, but he was a wanker and he didn't last all that long. He had a dig at me a while back saying, basically saying, you know, Parramatta bias and you admitted it, you know, Yvonne through to you out at the, out at the ground saying, Oh, Andy Raymond to be having a blast at, uh, you know, watching his, his mighty eels play. And you had a giggle about it. I said, well, what am I meant to do? You know, that's that's how I was introduced. Um, but we wouldn't be there if we weren't footy fans and every footy fan's got a team. Uh. <laughs> that's right. Because I do remember they passed on to you Monday, I think it might have been Monday night and it was Nathan Harmash's last game. Last game at Power. Yep. No, last game at Power, sorry. He did have that last game, sorry, it's uh, ANZ. Yep, a couple of weeks after, but you actually had the hindy like pants on and stuff like that. I thought it as I mean Bulldogs fans, suppose no emotional connection to Parramatta. I thought it was great entertainment before the game kicked off, and it just builds up for that game and 
you know, yep. had a bit of a bit of a laugh at Heine, like not yeah. laugh at Heine, laugh with Heine, what he's you know famous for, like. And I did, I did that on a, on a on a on a couple of occasions, or, or players did that to me, and I had a really good rapport with players. Sam Burgess threw a thirty-five meter spiral cutout pass during warm-up that landed directly on the back of my head in the middle of live TV. Scott Prince gave me. It wasn't even a slap. It was like a horsey on my ass, walking out, uh, running out onto the field at Leichhardt Oval one night that left like basically a bruise mark like that. It was so hard, but I interacted and had a bit of fun with it. Going back to you guys at home who, when you're watching Fox Sports, you're paying for the service, so you deserve the absolute best and then some because you're in charge, you're paying the bills, but my job was to entertain you in some way, shape or form. And whether that's uh, taking the piss out of myself or someone else or taking the piss out of Parramatta, and there's been plenty of times where I've done that and I've said, um, oh, life is a Parramatta fan. Oh, it's been 35 years, you know. Um, so I wasn't like, um, you know, go power and you suck because, you know, that's unacceptable. Um, but I, I, I like to think I found the happy medium, but if you're not... If you don't have a fan, uh, a, a team, and Warren Smith's got one, um, Dan Ganane's got one, Andrew Voss has got one, Ray Warren's got one, Andrew Moore's got one, um, they just keep to themselves. They've got one, guarantee it. <laughs> well, guys, we hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Andy Raymond. It was a pleasure having him on. Stick around for part two. Part two, we have Andy Raymond talking about his new podcast, Unfiltered, telling us his favourite stories and some of his most memorable moments on the show. We have plenty of chat about the Parramatta Eels. Yes, Andy's an Eels fan, unfortunately, and also chat about the uh, mighty Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. <laughs>